Hey everyone, this is Aspet Bedrosian. And this is Hovik Manucharyan. And we're talking with Gev Iskadjian on the latest conditions and events during the Artsakh blockade. Gev is with the ANC in Artsakh, nagorno karabakh and he lives in Stepanagerd. Today is June 15, 2023. This is the 186th day of the Artsakh blockade. We've gone just over half a year with this nightmare. Hey Gev, how are you doing? I'm doing uh, well, all things considered. Good to be on. Good evening, Gift. Nice to hear from you again. Good evening, good evening. So this week has been marked by an increase in tensions in the region. We uh, know that yesterday we're talking on uh, Thursday the 15th, and yesterday there was a uh, Azerbaijanis shot at two civilians in Yerask who were doing work at a factory that was being built there. That's I think it's a U.S.-Armenian joint project. And today, the major news was that a group of Azeri soldiers were trying to plant a flag on the other side of the Akari bridge, and they were shot at. And they are claiming that one of them uh, is injured, and this led to a series of escalations. There were reports of drones flying above Kapan, and they were shot down. And uh, there are also reports that Azerbaijan has blocked all traffic including, I mean, it was also always restricted, but now even humanitarian aid can't get in and people needing serious medical attention can't leave and come to Armenia. And we also heard now that gas stations in Artsakh basically have, and basically supplies are, are being even more rationed. So gas stations aren't selling any gas. So I wanted you to describe the situation in Artsakh right now. What else can you tell us that I missed? Look, you covered a lot of it. I can tell you how the folks on the ground are feeling and what the you know daily impact is because of the fact that there was those shootings when they tried to get the flag across. Uh, now they've essentially closed off that road. They've also not closed off the road just for, you know, Russian peacekeepers, but anyone that needs to transport for humanitarian needs, even the Red Cross and all the other supplies. And, and we feel that on the ground already. For example, you already mentioned the gas stations have been shut down. That also translates into transportation coming to a near halt because nobody can fill up, nobody can drive. And as you guys are aware, for more than 80 days, we haven't even had gas come through. So the cars that get powered through natural gas, they already haven't been working. So the toll we're already feeling. And because of the confluence of attacks and uh, everything that's happened last week, there's this real feeling of uncertainty in terms of violence breaking out. The Azerbaijani side has made mentions. They've also come through with a few of their threats because through the ceasefire violations and a lot of the murmurs that we're hearing here on the ground and internationally, unfortunately, indicate that Azerbaijan, if they are not going to launch an attack, is, is definitely looking into it. Yeah, and I f- definitely I forgot to mention in some of the news that Azerbaijan keeps alleging that Armenia has military presence in Artsakh. Uh, and we know that one of the that was one of the demands that they put is full demilitarization of Artsakh. Uh, let me remind our listeners that the military formations in Artsakh fully belong to the Artsakh Defense Army and not the Republic of Armenia. But Azerbaijan is basically conflating the two deliberately and trying to confuse uh, everyone. And if it wasn't even for those troops, you know, I don't know how 2,000 Russian peacekeepers could counteract like tens or hundreds of thousands of armed forces of Azerbaijan. So there's really, I guess, worry that uh, Azerbaijan might 
escalate in Artsakh soon because every day in the news they keep uh, talking about it. Kev, Pashinyan's government is touting that it is returning Artsakh to the negotiating table. You know, what they've been saying is that the former administrations took them out and that was the wrong thing to do. So now they have returned them. Is there any evidence that Artsakh is at the negotiating table? Are you aware of any kind of a dialogue between Baku and Stepan Aguirre that we haven't read about? To be honest, the only dialogue that's actually come out outside of those meetings and conferences that have happened between the Russian mediating forces. If you guys are aware, you know, a few times when there was a breakout in violence, the Russian mediators and peacekeepers would get the Armenian and Azerbaijani side on a table. But outside of that, it's only been through like these international reports. And as you guys remember, the invitations to Baku and then the Armenian side made their invitation as well. So it's been a PR thing more than it's been a legitimate, you know, something that's gone through. Also, the language of threats from Baku saying, basically, dismantle your government and dismantle all symbols of state. Yeah, they make their threats through publications and, you know, press releases. This past week, the European Parliament was going to hold a discussion about the blockade. Actually, they did hold a discussion about the blockade with Josef Borrell, I think. Uh, And closer to my home, my representative, Adam Schiff, wrote to Biden, urging him to act quickly to help Artsakh. I personally expect nothing really positive Mm -hmm. from these things for Armenians. Maybe I'm too jaded, but what is your view? What is Stepan Aguirre's view of such activities, let's say, including the ICJ ruling back in February, ordering Azerbaijan to cease and desist from the blockade, etc.? How do people view these actions internationally? Look, I think it's important that you brought up the ICJ ruling because when that first came out, people here were kind of excited. There, there's people that thought something may come out of that. Unfortunately, we know that it was non-binding. But for the layman, for the general populace, they genuinely thought that something may have come out of it. And unfortunately, nothing did. So as these press releases and as these events happen, uh, as certain statements get made, I think people become numb over time because for the last three years they've seen every side and and the, you can like correlate this with all the meetings that Pashinyan has. He goes to Washington, he goes to Russia. Sometimes the news comes out bad. Sometimes they say positive things, but we've seen nothing's come out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a certain point that the populace gets numb to a lot of this news. Gev, so this week was the half-year mark since Azerbaijan cruelly blockaded Artsakh from the outside world. This week, the Artsakh Ombudsman's Office published its updated report of the human rights violations against Artsakh citizens, including data from the blockade so far. Some of the main points include, and this is just a very high-level summary, you can check the links in our show notes if you like, to find the actual data, vastly reduced movement of passengers and goods between Artsakh and Armenia. And when I say vastly, we're talking about an over 99% reduction here, not a reduction of a few percentage points. Vastly diminished economic activity, vastly increased joblessness and job loss. We're talking about a job loss of about 11,000 people and on a population that has gone down from 150,000 to 120,000, assuming 50% labor size of 60,000 people. That's one in six people who've lost their ability to provide livelihood for their families. As you said earlier, there has been no gas for five months straight and no electricity from the outside for over five months straight. 
Gev, give us your take on this experience in your daily life. You've lived through 100% of this, so hats off to you, man. But how is the common Artsakh citizen surviving this calamity day in and day out? So I think it's been a roller coaster of emotion if we're doing the timeline. When this first broke out, I think myself included, many of us thought that this might be something that lasts a couple of weeks, a month max. And you know now we're pushing beyond six months and it's been turned into the part of the daily reality. Unfortunately, unfortunately. So unfortunately, no dignified population get used to electricity cuts, to food rations, to being mm-hmm. cut off from the rest of the world. But fortunately, we've seen how tough Artsakhtis are. And this isn't something that they haven't been through. These people have seen war. The, uh, a lot of the older generation have, has seen a blockade, you know, even lasted longer than this. So there are folks with experience and there are folks that are tough ending this out. But Azerbaijan is slowly climbing away at its goal of exerting all the pressure points onto this populace. As much as we can talk about how strong the Artsakhtis have been, there's no populace that shouldn't know when their kids can go to school next, when they can have a normal job. If there's a health crisis, can they get to an ICU center in, in Yerevan? These basic fundamental human rights are still, unfortunately, up in the air, and they're not guaranteed for the people of Artsakh, and the people here know it too. So there is a sense of isolation sometimes when you're talking about the Armenian government, who, who's not there at your side anymore when you're talking about an international community that has at times been silent. But again, I guess the good part in that is it bands people together. People in Artsakh, people in Hayastan and throughout the diaspora have really come through. And this has been the you know first thought or one of uh, their first thoughts for many people every morning that they wake up. And I think it should be. Uh, I don't mean to make this dramatic, but Artsakh is fighting an existential fight. Yeah. And we are in some of the crucial, the most crucial moments right now. Well, it is dramatic. It is dramatic. Yeah. Hovik, what are your thoughts from Yerevan? Well, I mean, I can say personally that for the last three years, almost three years, it's been one long November 9th. But I think that it makes a lot of people numb. Some people are basically tuning out on purpose, which I think is wrong. And as easy as it it is, uh, it's it's not a solution. We have to understand that, you know, even I, like I feel guilty that I have light right now. And I'm, you know, I don't have some of the same challenges that Gev has because we have to wait until midnight to record this because that's when he gets his power. And that's just like something that we notice. Many Yerevanses, if they were subjected to the same kind of, restrictions that basically 120,000 people are being held hostage essentially. Uh, that's what we have to understand that we can't normalize this. We have to fight against this every day. And unfortunately, uh, I have to say it, but the government in Armenia is working against that. They want people to not feel the pain. And that's wrong. I think sometimes the pain has to be felt. And I cannot stay silent. I cannot stay normal when my brother or when my family is being tortured and is being held hostage just a few hundred kilometers away. That's what you have to think about it. You know, I don't want to guilt trip anyone, but this is not about guilt trip. This is you have to face the reality. The moment you face the reality, then solutions will come, I think. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay, let's leave it there for today. Gev, let's talk soon. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Thank you, Gev.